I want to begin with the question, uh, what hang-ups, what hang-ups do you have about Christianity? And this question is for both for believers and non-believers, perhaps even as a sincere believer, you're still working through some things, and especially if you haven't crossed that line of faith yet, um, perhaps you have some hard questions about Christianity. Uh, put differently, where are you at in your Christian journey? These two questions are trying to get at the same thing. Um, now, a wonderful tradition to kind of illustrate the point is that we have at home is with my kids. This is a picture of our kitchen door frame, the entrance there. And it's hard to tell, but those are markings of the kids' height. And they love this tradition of standing up, and it's the one time they'll have perfect good posture. They'll breathe in, try to get their head and, and chest as high as possible, even trying to cheat a little bit and tippy-toe. And here's the ruler that I use and a pencil like this. And so I mark their height, and they're all the more motivated because you can't see it here, but closer uh, up top is a mom's height marking and, and dad's height marking. And of course, like any child, they look up to their parents and they want to grow to be as tall, if not taller, than their parents. Now, similar to physical growth then, um, you can have physical stuntedness, and just as we physically grow, we also spiritually grow, but we can also have spiritual stuntedness. That's what I mean by hang-ups. These hang-ups are perhaps what we can stunt our spiritual growth. Perhaps today you are asking, why are there so many rules to Christianity? It becomes hard to keep up, or if you're standing from the outside of Christianity, is this all that it's about? And you turn into this sort of judgmental atmosphere because it's all about rules. Of course, I would just say quickly, this is, that's not the right understanding of Jesus Christ and his Christianity. Perhaps some of us are asking, why does it rob us of fun? And so you, you stay away, arm's length of Christianity, because you think that God is just out to kill your, your joy and pleasure. Perhaps some of you, what stunts your spiritual growth is that you can't see God. Maybe you're naturally a scientific person. You want to observe and see concrete things, and because you can't see God, you question whether he is real and for you. And perhaps some of us, we're stunted in our spiritual growth because we just think of Christianity as another therapeutic psychology, just an alternative to all the ways out there to try to, to better yourself. And why do I need God in the picture for that? Now, to describe our spiritual journey then, this Christian journey, I appreciate diagrams, but in, in, if you're not the diagram type, just uh, if you'll humor me, and um, a man named James Engel, he observed, and he noticed that people go through different phases in their spiritual journey. Of course, he's not saying that Christianity, and nor am I saying that Christianity is formulaic and linear, but certainly you observe these sort of phases, and maybe some of you are here. Um, there's a, a diagram of it in the bulletin, somehow the uh, graphic uh, printing, it didn't come out, the, the resolution wasn't as clear, but hopefully you can make it out or hopefully you can read, follow along on the screen here. But generally speaking, I'll just focus on, on these five phases that Engel speaks of. And, and some of us, certainly we are at the place of cynic. And we are far away from ever embracing Jesus and Christianity warmly. But then we can move along and from cynicism, outright rejection, we become more of a skeptic. We're not embracing it yet, but, but we're open or we're at least engaging and asking hard questions. 
and then we can move along and beyond skepticism, maybe we start coming on the arm of a friend to church and we spectate. And perhaps we've brought, for the Christians, we've brought friends who are willing to at least spectate. And then we hope that people move along from just spectating to become seeking, sincerely seeking. And the line here on the diagram, it represents what I call the line of faith. And our hope is that people would see Jesus for who he truly is and have faith in him and believe in his message of salvation and forgiveness of sins and atonement and, and cross over that line of faith from seeker to believer. But it doesn't end there. After we believe, we also need to grow and mature, keep growing up, as Scripture says, to grow into, to continually be conformed into the image of Christ, his moral character, his values, his, his view of eternity and people. Now, wherever you're at, whether you're a believer or not today, I want to offer you this, this simple prayer. And I offer you this prayer, and even if you're not a believer, it might seem like a cosmic jump. Well, I'm, I'm a skeptic or I'm, I'm a spectator. Why would you ask me? I'm not ready to pray. Well, I offer you this simple prayer because praying is a gateway to faith. Prayer is, is you willing to say, God, even though I can't see you, I, I'm going to throw up this thought, this, this, this emotion filled from my gut thought and prayer that comes from my heart, through my brain, my thoughts, and out through my mouth. And I'm going to take a step of faith to talk to you. And if you're a Christian today, I encourage you that this is the lifeblood, one lifeblood of genuine Christianity, following Jesus, that we just need to be in communication with him, talking to him, pouring out our hearts to him day by day. And so I offer you this simple little prayer, Lord, help me to respond to your word with faith. God is all about relationship, and he's speaking his word. He's been speaking his word from creation through all history, through his servants, and he's left us scripture, and his Holy Spirit continues to prompt people's hearts, and he is holding out his word again and again and again, day by day, and our call is to make a choice. Do we respond by faith or not to his word? So to help unpack that, I want to ask three more questions today. I want to clump the first two questions together. First, what does God proclaim at Christmas? What is he speaking at Christmas in, in today's passage? And how does Mary respond to God's word? Because we see in today's passage, in a sense, Mary on her own journey. She's on her own little journey in chapter 1 of Luke of, of, from skepticism to faith. And then to make it practical, how can I respond? How can you and I respond to God's word this Christmas? <clears throat> So let's ask the question, what does God proclaim at Christmas? What, what is the word that he's speaking in today's passage, and how does Mary respond to God's word? And right off the bat, jumping to verse 28, God proclaims friendship. Christmas is a time to be reminded profoundly that God proclaims friendship to you and me. And we see it right here. Verse 28, now God is speaking through his servant, the angel, and nevertheless, ultimately, it's God speaking, God speaking to Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings. Stop there. That word greetings, it doesn't come out perfectly in the English translation. But literally means be glad, be happy, be joyful. And it's the same word that we saw, if you were here last week, that when the wise men, it, it described the wise men when they saw Jesus, that they were filled with exceedingly great joy. It's the same word 
And so this greeting here, it's, it's saying, Mary, be happy, be glad. I'm going to give you a reason to be so happy. Oh, favored one. And this literally means just graced one. It's the exact word that the rest of the New Testament uses for grace. So be happy because God's grace is upon you. God's grace is working in you. It's not that Mary was herself, and this is a friendly jab at my Catholic friends. It's not that Mary was divine and, and so perfect in her own, on her own merit, but that God's grace was working in her, drawing her, as the Puritans like to say, preparing her. And what's, what's the reason that God wants Mary to be happy and to realize that God's grace is working in her because the Lord is with her. The Lord is with you. So do you see here with me that God is proclaiming friendship to her so much so that Mary's conception, Mary's response now to God's word, when God proclaims friendship, Mary's conception of God is challenged. Her conception of God is blown out of the water. And so Luke records that she was greatly troubled. This is a heart word. This is a word of her affections and, and in her feelings, not being able to fathom that God wants to be her friend. But not only is she troubled in her gut, Luke goes on to describe she tried to discern. And so this was both a challenge in her emotions and, and her emotional perception of God, but also in her thoughts, her thinking of God, her ideas about God. And so what God is doing here as he proclaims friendship, he is completely blowing out of the water Mary's conception of God. It is so challenged. Now, this is still, we, we are no different from Mary 2,000 years later. How many of us, before we became Christians, had misconceptions of God? And even after we placed our faith in Christ, I'm sure we could all share stories that it has been a constant journey of having, having our understanding of God corrected, our understanding of God deepened and widened. Now God goes on to proclaim Jesus specifically. And so God proclaims friendship, Mary responds, and, and she's not understanding, and now God proclaims Jesus and in verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. See, Mary, she had a complete misconception of God, which was overall based on her scriptures, the Old Testament. And even though in the Old Testament, there is profound, there's abundant description of God's love and kindness as well, but I don't blame her. Any person, most people who read the Old Testament, they see God as just judgmental, wrathful, vindictive, etc., etc., and so she is afraid, and so God addresses that specifically through the angel to her, do not be afraid. And what does he do? This is amazing. He says, Mary. He addresses her by name. That's what friends do, right? Even as a pastor, one of my ongoing stresses is, is remembering people's names. Because whether you're a child or a grown-up, People love their name being remembered. And here God, he, he speaks Mary's name personally to her. And he continues to explain through the angel, you have found favor. Again, grace. It's the literal word for grace with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. I know for some of us, we're already stuck on, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, because now this is pointing to the, the virgin birth. And we'll, we'll address that in a few moments. So just hold your horses there and, and just wait with me. We'll address that in a moment. But what I want you to notice here is that God proclaims Jesus. And this Jesus, his name means saving one. God's exact purpose was to send his son as atonement to save us from our sins. I love the, the reflection that I heard once. If God believed that our greatest need was just to laugh more, he would have sent, he would have sent just a hilarious comic to this earth. If God believed that our greatest need was money, then he would have sent the most brilliant economist and financier that, this, that history would ever have seen. If God believed that our greatest need was just blank, you name it, blank, then he would have sent whatever expertise, whatever expert in that area. But what does God do? He proclaims Jesus, saving one, the one who would atone us of our sins. And he goes on to explain the, the wonder, the mystery of this Jesus as saving one. In verse 32, God continues to explain through the angel, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And so this human that would be found, this little baby, humbled and helpless babe form, is actually coming from the Most High. And he's divine. He's God in heaven who will leave his throne, come down, and find himself condescended. As church history likes to use the word, his humiliation. To that point, his humility, to come down to the very point of it, taking on flesh and being the most, and found in the most vulnerable position as a helpless babe, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And this is a, a, a point to say that this Jesus will also be man. That he'll be a descendant of the line of David. Because he's born through a, a, a woman, a human. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. And so what we need to understand is that Jesus, as God proclaims Jesus, what God is proclaiming is that Jesus is the God-man. See, Jesus had to be the Son of God, meaning fully God, fully divine, perfectly divine, because that was the only way he could become the sinless, sinless. Only God can be sinless. That Jesus had to be the Son of God, divine, fully God, to be the sinless sacrifice, representing God's love to man from up to down. But he also had to be a Son of Man to be the sacrifice for our sinfulness and to represent man's penance, man's need, for just deserving punishment. That's how I mean that word, penance. Representing man from down to up. Do you see this? Do you, I want you to get this with me. This is heaven kissing earth. This is God, man, this is God saying, I love you so much, I will meet you in the middle. And the brilliance of Jesus, the brilliance of Jesus is that it happens right in this one person. The perfection of God. And yet somehow, mysteriously, the imperfection of man and God understanding our weaknesses and facing everything that we would and yet being sinless. Now, how does Mary respond? Typical of every human being, 
We all have some self-centeredness to us, and she just focuses on her own limitations. And she responds, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since, and her blank there is, I am a virgin. I want you to notice that she's focusing on her own limitation. Now, let's give Mary credit. And to my skeptic friends here, I want you to see that even Mary, she was, she was using common sense. She was being very logical here, very reasonable. This doesn't make sense because I'm a virgin and, and I know basic, you know, human biology and reproduction and so forth. So let's give her some credit. And skeptic friends, would you acknowledge that even here, Mary, the mother of Jesus, that the way she got to her journey towards becoming the mother of Jesus involves some common sense. But what I want you to notice is that she ends up focusing on her limitation. Now, only if she knew, only if she knew that God had foreseen this long ago and centuries before through another servant of his named Isaiah, he predicted, he inspired Isaiah to foresee and he wrote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord is with us. And so what's happening with Mary here is God fulfilling this prophecy centuries before. Now to bring it home, perhaps you are like Mary. Perhaps today on that journey, on that journey of of considering Christ and, and Christ being more and more truly Lord in your life, perhaps you're asking, how would you fill in this blank? Lord, how can you say blank since blank? How can you say that you are loving when I see orphans all over the world that are still without home and food and shelter and water? How, how can you say that you are all-powerful when our world is still in chaos. Or for myself, just late, a few weeks ago, God, how can you say that you're in control when I was pumping on the brakes and yet my car was not slowing down and just sliding on black ice and I just saw the inevitable happening before my eyes and I ended up rear-ending someone, even after I'm just trying to be a good dad and go through the morning routine, drop my kids off, and, and so forth. Perhaps like Mary, or let's, what I'm trying to say is identify, be, be open and honest about limitations that you're identifying for yourself that keep you from fully trusting God. Now, what does God do then? What does God proclaim next? You know what? Let me, before I go on, just say, just to hammer this point home, for maybe some of us, it's, Lord, how can you say you really love me when I still know that there's this thing in my past or this thing that I did this past week or even this morning. And, and I want you to, to, to be willing to acknowledge that, to be honest about that and bring that before the Lord as Mary did. So what's the, what's the answer? Well, how does God now respond to her through the angel? God proclaims the Holy Spirit. God proclaims the Holy Spirit in verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. How does God respond to Mary's skepticism, her doubts, 
He doesn't get to the exact answer per se or solution to that exact specific problem, but instead he proclaims the Holy Spirit. Why? Now, any reader, someone listening to this during Luke's time when, when, the gospel, when this gospel is being passed around, if they knew their scripture, and for you and I too, I hope, I hope for some of us here this is ringing a bell because this is very resembling of creation. You go back to Genesis 1, and what does it say? That in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, what was going on there? That his spirit was hovering over the void. His spirit, the Holy Spirit over the darkness. And what we believe as Christians is that God is creator, that he created out of nothing. One phrase that I love, it just gives it more oomph in church history, ex nihilo, out of nothing, that God created out of nothing. And even to my pure atheist friends here today, more scientific people, you have to wrestle with this question too. At some point, even if you don't believe in God, that whatever material was used to get this universe rolling and, and evolution and so forth, it had to come from somewhere. It all came from nothing at some point. It requires this kind of faith. And what Christians believe is that God was self-existing. He was there. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the void. And by the power of the Spirit, God the Father, his, his decree through Jesus the Word, and by the power of the Spirit, that he creates this universe out of nothing. And so this feat here, this conception in a virgin's womb, is nothing. It's just basically what God did from the very beginning. It's not beyond God if he's creator God to just do what he did at creation and to speak and to have his word formed in Mary and to have Christ come from this virgin womb. See, the Holy Spirit is God's power. The Holy Spirit is God's power, how he affects grace in our lives. Even for believers today, be reminded that the way you're going to keep maturing and growing in Christ, the way you'll experience more and more of God's love in your life is the Holy Spirit creating out of nothing something, a thought that blows up in your mind or an affection that awakens or a will that's able to make that choice at the fork in the road. The Spirit will help you. He will give you the grace to make those choices, to have those thoughts. And even now, if you're on the other side of the line of faith, perhaps you sense that the Spirit is, is tugging on your hearts, making you ask questions that you didn't ask before, that you strangely feel your heart being warmed, and maybe I need to be more open to this, this wonderful Christmas message. And so we look to Mary now as a wonderful example. Even her skepticism is a wonderful example, a, a genuine, honest, sincere example of asking the right questions and journeying, and now take upon you Mary's example of where it concludes, and she responds with faith. God proclaims the Holy Spirit. He sends his Holy Spirit out to be working in our hearts and minds, and Mary responds with faith to the grace that she senses is percolating in her. And in verse 38, Mary says, Behold, this is the conclusion, I am the servant of the Lord meaning I'm willing to bow down my will. I'm willing to submit to this word. I'm willing to place my faith and in your word. Let it be to me according to your word. This is what I want you to get because if you read further along, even in Luke's gospel, 
when the shepherds visit, there's this beautiful description that Mary, she sees what's going on. These shepherds coming out of nowhere and, and bowing down to her son and worshiping her, her baby, a newborn babe as king. And it says she, she, was, she pondered these things and she treasured them in her heart. Meaning, I have faith does not mean I have everything figured out. And I mean that as a good thing, as a comfort to wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. You can have faith. You can place your faith in Christ. And even if you're a scientific friend today, an atheistic friend, do you really have everything figured out? Do you really have all the scientific knowledge in all the universe that you can, with foolproof conclusions, say, I have everything figured out, therefore I believe what I believe? Now, let's just be humbly honest. You don't. None of us ever will. And so I have faith does not mean that I have everything figured out. And so I love what Bede the Venerable, what a name, huh? He's from the 600s. I asked uh, my kids, what, what if dad had a name like this, what would it be? And uh, my son was like, you would be Albert the Disciplined. <laughs> dad, you're the most disciplined man or person I, I know on the face of this earth. I was like, oh, thanks. And my ego started puffing up. And then I asked my daughter, she was sitting at our dining table, which looks out on the backyard. And she goes, you would be Albert, the one who hasn't cut the dead branches off the tree that mom asked you to do uh, this past summer, but it's winter now, and it's too late, Dad. It's too late. <laughs> she brought me down to earth. <laughs> Nevertheless, here is B the Venerable. <laughs> and he tries to explain what's going on here with Mary. The new era of salvation begins with the conception of Jesus and Mary. Literally, Jesus was being born in her, but this is also metaphoric for every believer that will come after, that the Spirit is trying to birth faith in Jesus and every one of us in our gut, in our, in our womb, so to speak. As Eve contained in her womb all humanity that was doomed to sin, now Mary contains in her womb the new Adam. The new Adam is Jesus Christ, who will father a new humanity by his grace. And so where Mary, or where, where Eve, sorry, looked on that concrete apple that looked beautiful to her, and it represents knowledge of good and evil, and where she rejected God's word, where she took her faith off of God's word, and instead trusted what was just visible and concrete and tangible, now Mary begins, God uses her to begin to reverse the curse as well. And now she places her faith in God's word. Even though she can't see, she places her faith in God's word. And you and I are called to, to follow in Mary's footsteps as well and to place our faith in God's word. So let's be, try to land this plane now. How can I respond to God's word this Christmas? And what I mean by that, when I ask that question, aka, how do I sense God's grace advancing in my soul? That's what it means to walk with Jesus, that grace will go deeper and deeper and deeper. Grace will continue to challenge you more deeply, bring out even more stuff, perhaps. Of course, God the Father does it all in his loving, gentle timing in a way that we always feel his arms wrapped around us in full embrace. 
but his desire is that grace would continue to work in us. So first, preach to your own heart again and again and again the Lord's greeting to Mary. Be glad every morning. Try to start your day. Remember to start your day. Ask God to help you to remember to start your day. Albert, speak to yourself. Be glad because the Lord is with you and his grace is for you. The Lord is with you. Be happy because of that. And no matter what is going on in your life, this will give you a wonderful confidence, a wonderful courage to face whatever it is you need to face that day and a perspective that God is with you, he's in control, he's good. Next, and I clump these four all together, I'll just break them up into four little mini steps. First, identify your personal doubts. Maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe something in, in your circumstances is not working out the way you had hoped. Maybe it's experiential. I already shared how a few weeks ago I was really, and, and just even the aftermath of that, that, that fender bender, and where I, it was literally out of my control. My car was sliding on black ice, and it was not slowing down no matter how much I punked the brakes. And experientially, and, and in the aftermath, I, I doubted God's control for a few days. God, are you really in control? Maybe it's intellectual doubt. Maybe it's emotional doubt. But don't just identify it, then pray. Pray to God. Take that step of faith and pray to God sincerely about those doubts. He wants to hear about them. Turn to the Psalms. The Psalms cover the whole range of human emotions and even how to pray doubts, how to work through your doubts. Also, read up on how church history has addressed those doubts because I mean this not in a, in a, in a, in a, in a condescending manner, but any doubt that you have today, a saint has experienced it. In some sense, there are no new doubts. And you can read up on how saints of the past have wrestled with those doubts and, and so shorten your time of ser- searching in that sense. But most importantly, meditate on Scripture. Meditate on Scripture and how Jesus speaks to those doubts. And then third, how can I respond to God's word this Christmas? How can grace continue to advance in, in my own soul? Ask the Holy Spirit to continue helping you, to, to continue to help you to respond with faith in God's word. That's what it comes down to. There are countless promises of God in Scripture, but it comes down to, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you choose to place your trust in God's word? But not only for your own faith, ask the Holy Spirit to continue his work of preparing around you those who don't believe. I know all of us have a, a list of loved ones, family, friends, coworkers, people that we can think of that have somewhere maybe far on the far left of that spiritual journey, that angle scale. And continue to pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in their hearts that he would be pouring out grace and that he would be doing a work of opening up their eyes to create something out of nothing, the work that the Spirit does, so that they would get closer and closer to that line of faith. And during Christmas, especially reaffirm, the Holy Spirit is the one that explodes this to life in our hearts. Reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your God, man, king. And so I offer you to end these beautiful words that summarize it perfectly. Daniel Whittle, 
I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy, you and I being unworthy, Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how the saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. And the chorus goes on beautifully to say, but I know whom I have believed. And so may you be able to pray the prayer, Lord, help me to respond to your word with faith. Amen.